Good morning. Looks like we got a little storm going on here outside. That's good. I love rainstorms and all kinds of storms, except for relational storms. Those are no good. But good. If the power goes out, we're going to keep going. Uh, Fred, I think it was you that was telling me there was a situation where the guy was preaching and the power went out at like the perfect moment. So I'm not hoping that happens by any means, but if it does, we're going to keep plugging through. So if you remember, two weeks ago, I preached a message on the ordinance of baptism. And uh, so we had decided to do baptism and communion and cover the teaching on the ordinances. So two weeks ago, uh, we spoke on this and I made a big deal about the fact that baptism communicates or visibly demonstrates the union that we have with Christ. And if you remember talking about this, that just as Christ was crucified on the cross, dead and buried, and then raised to life, so we, in the act of baptism, go under the water, symbolizing death to sin, and then are raised up out of the water, demonstrating and visualizing, if you will, this newness of life that has happened because of what Jesus Christ has done. And we talked about all these different things that baptism represents with symbolism, with uh, uh, pictures that we see in baptism, but mainly it is a picture of our being united to Christ because of his sacrifice. Now this morning we're going to look at the ordinance of communion, the Lord's Supper, what we celebrate here every week at Grace Bible Church, and we'll get into why we do that every week uh, towards the end of the service. So if baptism uh, visibly shows our union with Christ, then the Lord's table shows our union with Christ, but also with one another. I think one of the, the best things about my study this week was just reaffirming in my own thinking the importance of doing this every week and the importance of us doing it together. It is an act of our union not only with Christ, but with each other. That because of the blood of Christ, we have common ground. And I was thinking about this a little bit. There's, just on our horizontal level, if you want to call it that, our lives, our experience, there might be some overlap with the people we worship together with. But by and large, we're very unique, aren't we? We all have different experience. What draws us together? Why do we gather together? Because the blood of Jesus Christ has cleanses us from our sin. And every time we gather together and we come to the table, we are saying, we identify with Christ and with each other. This corporate nature of communion was so encouraging to me this week. And like I said, it just solidified in my mind the, the necessity of us doing this regularly. So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I invite you to open your Bibles there. This is Paul's treatment of the Lord's Supper, and I want to give you just a little bit of context. So we're going to read 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. Now what was happening at the church in Corinth is that things were a bit of a mess, and much of this letter, 1 Corinthians, has to do with Paul correcting and giving instruction on how to fix some of the errors that were going on in the church. There was some stuff about church discipline, about some immorality things. There's a lot about the gathering of the worship service in 1 Corinthians. And so this part in chapter 11 deals with how the church is to come together to the Lord's table. 
And so as we look through this, I'm going to give us four things that communion is or that it is designed to be. And I hope you can see these in the text. So follow along as I read. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instruction, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be fractions among you, factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. Do you pray with me as we begin? Father, I pray that as we look now in, in detail at this section of Scripture, that we would not only see the significance of gathering together to celebrate the table, but that we would see the significance of the church, the people that you have purchased by the blood of your Son, those you have called into relationship with you, not only as individuals, but as members of one another. There's so much intentionality to what you've designed, so much purpose, so much love and care. And I pray that we'd recognize that, Lord, that we would take seriously what we do at church, the significance of this time. It's just an hour a week, just a short time. I pray that we would give our all to know you and to worship you, to love you, and to receive grace from you. So thank you that we can gather today, Lord. Please open our understanding, and by your Holy Spirit, come and teach us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. There is something significant about eating together, isn't there? There's something about gathering together and having a meal, sharing food together. Sometimes if you're if maybe getting to know somebody, 
uh, you'll share a meal together, and that way, at least, you know, if it's really awkward and there's nothing to say, you can just eat your food. And that kind of solves that situation. But eating together is, there's something, and I don't even know if anyone can say this is exactly what it is, but there's something significant about gathering together and fellowshipping with food. And I think the significance is spiritual, of course. We're going to get to that in a minute. I read an article from The Atlantic this week about the importance of eating together. And this is an article from a completely secular point of view. This was not, you know, Christians writing to try to make some correlation between communion and other things we do. This is just secular sociologists saying, you know, there's something really significant that happens. And they did research over 10 years and showed that families who eat together, the kids had better performance in school, work performance was better, relationships were better, communication was better. There was all of these effects that you normally wouldn't trace back to having a meal, right? I mean, that's just Maybe it's just something you do and something you do together and you always have. But there is significance in getting together and eating together. And the interesting part was not just the effects or the benefits that this article was talking about, but it was that it all had to do with a family. That the significance of a family being together, eating together, fellowshipping, opening up communication, all those kinds of things. There's significance to eating and sharing a meal together. Now, why do I mention that? You can probably make the connection, right? I mention that because of what we're going to talk about right now, the corporate together nature of the Lord's Supper. So I told you there's going to be four things that we look at from this passage, and we're going to work right through it, and I'm going to point these out as we go. So I'm going to give you four things. First of all, number one, communion is designed to be corporate. Communion is designed to be corporate. I'm not sure if you caught this as we were reading through this passage, but five times Paul uses the phrase, when you gather together, when you come together, when you gather together as a church. Did you catch that? Verse 17. I don't commend you in this because when you come together, it's not for better or for worse. Verse 18, for in the first place, when you come together as a church... Verse 20, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Verse 33, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. 34, if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. You can't read this and escape the fact that Paul has the gathered church in mind. He's not giving these instructions for your small group. He's not giving these instructions for your one-on-one discipleship time or your men's retreat around the campfire. This is for the gathering of the local church. When you come together, when you come together, when you come together. This ordinance is meant to be observed corporately together. Now you will generally not sit down and share a meal with those people that you really can't stand. Right? I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying we generally fellowship with and engage with people who are like-minded to us and that we have things in common with. But in Christ, we have way more in common than any kind of human or familial relationship. And so the emphasis on communion being something we do together transcends any kind of barrier or distinction that you might have in your mind or even a way of thinking. This is meant to be celebrated together. And the reason for this is to demonstrate the unity that you and I have together because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Maybe there was another way that we could have commemorated this unity that we have with Christ. 
But you have to remember that I think God established communion as the way to do this because without the sacrifice of Jesus, without the shed blood, without everything we celebrate at the table, there is no unity. All of our unity is rooted in the fact that Christ shed his blood for you. And that gives us a bond with one another that is thicker than any kind of human or earthly bond. When we gather together as a church and we partake of communion with one another, we visibly demonstrate, show, display, dramatize, whatever word you want to put in there, the union that we have with one another because of Christ. Taking communion as a believer is not optional. This is not some kind of preference thing that some churches do and some churches don't or whatever. It is commanded. When Jesus said, do this, in remembrance of me, he's not saying, if it's convenient for you. He's not saying, if you can get someone to fill up the trays before service. He's not saying, if it works out and it's not too much trouble, you don't want to take time away from the music in the service, for goodness sakes. Do this in remembrance of me. This is a command. That's why we call it an ordinance. Jesus ordained this. And it is designed to be corporate when we gather together. Now, I think there are some very few and very small exceptions to the corporate nature of communion, okay? It is designed for when we gather as a church. However, if we had uh, someone who was in a care facility, a member of our church who couldn't leave their home, I think I'd be okay with bringing communion to them. But that is an exception and a rare exception. I might be fine with that. I would not be okay with a bunch of people around a campfire with some chips and coke and say, hey, we should have communion. No, that is not what it's for. It is for the gathering of the church together. It's all of Paul's instruction in this section is what to do when you come together. The text is very clear. This is a corporate thing that is meant to be observed together. It's number one. Number two, communion is designed to be a remembrance. Communion is designed to be a remembrance. Look again at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says the same thing about the cup. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me? Do you think it's just all of Jesus' life, or Remember his death specifically, or what, what's, he, what's he mean in remembrance, or a commemoration? What, what do you think he's talking about? Remember the night that Paul is referencing here, the night that Jesus instituted this ordinance. We call it the Last Supper. So they're in the upper room, and Jesus is doing this with the disciples. What were they celebrating when they were there? Do you remember? What feast? Passover. They were there to celebrate the Passover. Now, if you're not familiar, I'm going to read just a short section from Exodus chapter 12, talking about what the Passover is, and I want you to listen for some of the details in here and see if you can make a connection now to the Lord's Supper and why Jesus might say, do this in remembrance of me as a commemoration of what I've done. Okay, this is Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood. 
that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you. That's where the word Passover comes from, from God passing over those homes. Verse 24, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, why are we doing this? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Get it? Salvation through blood, sacrifice, God passing over what should have been punished, but there's a blood offer. You getting it? You getting that correlation? That's what the Jesus and the disciples were gathered to celebrate. That's what they were doing in the upper room. But Jesus increases the significance of the Passover by his own sacrifice. So from that point, from, from Exodus 12 on in Israel's history, they are to observe this Passover feast as a way to what? What did it just say? To remember the deliverance that the Lord provided through blood. You should be able to finish the sermon from here. <laughs> right? So Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He's not just saying, I want you to just focus on me. He's, he's in keeping with the whole history of Israel. And as a Jewish man, he says, remember, remember. This was the way that Israel learned and the way that they kept the gospel and the traditions and all of these things going throughout their history. They looked back and they said, remember what God did for us. And they worshipped him for it. So when we come to the table in obedience to Jesus, because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, what are we remembering? We are remembering the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. The freedom from sin, the removal of guilt, the righteousness of Jesus, all of those things. Remember what Christ has done. Communion was designed to be a remembrance. And I don't think we can do it too often. More on that in a minute. Number three, communion is an opportunity for examination. Communion's an opportunity for examination. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Look at these verses again with me. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty Concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is one of the most interesting parts of my study all this week. It was so good. And I want to share this with you now because it was just really significant. So first thing we have to do is figure out what does it mean to eat or drink in an unworthy manner. It's right there in verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner is guilty. Okay, so what's he talking about? 
let's just use the context of the churches in Corinth to help us understand what Paul means by this unworthy manner. What was happening was that the, the gathering of worship, we would call it the church service, was chaos in Corinth. Okay, there was all kinds of stuff that was being allowed to happen. There was things that were being promoted that were not helpful. And what would happen is when the church came together, oftentimes people were traveling. They'd bring food with them. They'd have a fellowship meal perhaps together. And what was happening is those who were rich, who were affluent, would bring their stuff and they would just do whatever they wanted. They were eating whenever they wanted. They were drinking whenever they wanted. Those who were poor and couldn't afford to bring anything with them would go hungry. There was nothing for them to do. Others came anticipating being able to kind of mooch off someone else and they would overdo it and they would overeat and they would get drunk. It was a mess. It was chaos in Corinth. Sounds like a Christian children's cartoon show. Chaos in Corinth. That's what was going on. It was, it, was, it was just a disaster. So Paul comes in and he says, you are doing this in an unworthy manner. Don't you know what you're doing? That's why he says, should I commend you on this? No, I will not. <laughs> they were not doing good. Corinth needed some major renovation as far as their, their gathering on the Sabbath to worship together. Part of the unworthy manner the, the, the thing that Paul is calling out here is that the church was treating communion like an individual thing. They didn't recognize the significance of the gathered body. Everyone was just going ahead. They were doing whatever they wanted. And Paul says, you're missing the point. Not only that, but you're going to incur the discipline of the Lord if you continue in this. So he offers them instruction. He instructs them to examine themselves prior to participating in the Lord's Supper. Now this, of course, means that they and we ought to examine ourselves in light of our sinfulness and God's holiness. We ought to keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin and trust in God for his grace and the pardon that comes through Jesus Christ. But there's another element of discerning or examination that Paul commends, and you can see it in verse 29. He says, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, what does Paul mean by discerning the body? He's already said, I think, I'll just give my hand, I think there's, I think there's three things it could mean, and I think he actually gives us three things in this passage, three areas of examination or discernment. I'm going to tell you what they are. First, he could mean discerning the body, he could mean Christ. His body, his blood, the, the, the symbolism there of the bread and the cup and all. He could mean that, but he already said that, right? If you look back up, is it uh, 27? Whoever eats, therefore, and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Okay, so he, he covered that. He could also mean that we should discern ourselves. We should think about our sinfulness and, and confess this. And bring, but he already mentioned that too in verse 28, right? He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then in verse 29, he says, discern the body. And what I think he means is that we need to discern, by the body, I think he means the church. This is one of Paul's favorite ways to refer to the church, by calling us the body of Christ. 
He's already said we should examine ourselves, we should consider the body and the blood of Christ, and now I think what he's saying is, when you come together, this is not some haphazard celebration, this is not simply some continuation of a Jewish festival of the Passover. You need to understand the significance of gathering together as a church and everything that means. And when you ignore that, when you act like this is just, oh, whatever, we do this on Sunday, I'm just going to go ahead and do this, or I'm going to do this, you're... You're missing the point. God ordained that this meal be observed together in an orderly fashion when we discern or examine and understand who we are as a church. This is hugely significant. Do you understand the significance of you being here right now if you're a believer? This is not just habit. We have been brought into the family of God. We have been made brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, it's okay to call each other brother. That's not just something to use when you forget someone's name in church. (laughs) That never happens though, right? We're family. We belong one to another. Paul said in Ephesians, we are members one of another. And so what was happening, Paul says, you guys got to get this right. You have to discern, you have to examine, you have to consider who you are in Christ and the significance of being together as a church. Do that, otherwise you will be disciplined. Now, I'm not going to get a whole lot into that, but let me just give you a summary. Those last verses there where he says, this is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. And then look at what he says in 31. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. All he's saying there is that if you were to discern your situation, your position in Christ, you would avoid this correction of God, this discipline of God to get you back on the right track. You could do that. You could get yourself in the right place. You could understand. You could discern the body. Then he says, we won't be condemned along with the world. You're going to be functioning and operating as you should in the church. We'll unpack that when we preach through 1 Corinthians in 20 years. But I'm just telling you for now, that's, that's what he's getting at. Know who you are, Christian. Know who purchased you and act like it. That's Paul's summary. It's my interpretation of Paul's summary. We are dependent upon one another in the church. Now, I know in America, in our culture, in the West especially, independence and individuality is valued above almost everything else. Right? I mean, that's advertising, that's product placement, that's everything is just prop yourself up, make the most of you, 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 you. And so we come to the scriptures and we see it's not about you, it's about us. Our ears may hear that and go, yeah. But what about me? (laughs) That's fine. You can be you. But remember your position, Christian. Remember that you belong to Christ. And that when we get together and we, we take communion, we fellowship, we worship, we sing, we hear the word, all these things, it's a demonstration of us belonging to one another. So when Paul says, examine yourself, yes, he means bring your sin to God. This is why we give time as the elements are being passed And we encourage you, look, confess your sin. 
Confession is not just something that happens initially at the beginning of your Christian life. It is an ongoing practice. Bring your sin to God. Ask him to reveal what's in your heart and receive assurance that through the blood of Christ you are made clean. And then worship and take the table. So examine yourself, discern the body and the blood of Christ, and think about your position in the church and what we are doing as we gather here together. Fourth, and finally, communion is a spiritual participation in Christ. Communion is a spiritual participation in Christ. Turn maybe just one page to the left in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says this in verse 16. 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many, he's talking about the church, are one body, for we all partake in the one bread. When we eat these little crackers, little bread, we drink this tiny little amount of juice, what are we doing exactly? What's happening? Is anything happening? What's going on? Why, why are we doing this? Paul says that when we do this, when we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we are participating. There is a participation with Christ. Well, that answers it clearly, doesn't it? No. What does that mean? He does not mean that somehow the elements mystically turn into the body and the blood of Christ. Literally, that's called transubstantiation, which is a practice in the Roman Catholic Church where they believe that through the woo stuff that goes on at the table, that it literally turns into the body and the blood of Christ. Nowhere in Scripture do you see that teaching if you understand it to be a spiritual reality. Maybe it helped to see one other place Paul uses the word participation. This is uh, Philippians 2.1. He says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Now, no one reads that participation in the Spirit and goes, Oh, that means we should eat the Spirit. No one reads it like that. I don't. I hope you don't. What he means is that there is a spiritual reality that is being demonstrated when we come to the table. The word participation, you know this, is koinonia, which just means fellowship, partnership. So what Paul is saying is that the, the cup that we drink and the bread that we eat is a partnership with Christ. It is a demonstration of our union with him. And it is a spiritual reality. There is nothing weird Happening at the table. That's one of my favorite theological words, weird. It is representation, it is remembrance, it is commemoration, and it is participation. Meaning that we are saying, I belong to Christ. I belong to you all. There is a spiritual significance here. So, communion is designed to be corporate. It's designed to be a remembrance. 
Communion is an opportunity for examination of ourself and our sinfulness, of the body and the blood of Christ, and about our position here, right? Those three things of examination. And it is a spiritual participation in Christ. Now, I want to close the same way I did when we talked about baptism. Just ask a few questions that come up whenever we talk about communion. And there might be more. And if you have more questions, please come talk to me. Talk to one of the elders. But here's a few things that oftentimes get asked. First, who should take communion? Who is this table for? Well, if we're going on what we've seen this morning about examination, confession of sin, union with Jesus, I would say only those who belong to Christ, who have been saved by the grace of God, washed in the blood of Jesus, should come to the table. Shorthand would be Christians. The table is only for those who belong to Christ. If you take the elements, if you participate in this and you do not know Jesus, you are eating judgment on yourself. It's part of the discerning that Paul was talking about. Should you do this? This is only for believers. This is, again, like I said, why we encourage as the elements are being passed, use this opportunity. Don't waste it. Don't just sit there and think about if your lunch is burning in the oven or whatever. Use that time well to think about what is going on here. Where are you with Christ? Where are you with each other? If there is sin between you and you, you need to fix that. You need to confess that and make those things right. Which is something only Christians do because we have the Spirit of God. So the table is for believers. Second, What should we use in our observance of the table? Why do we use these elements? Why don't we use something else? Now, there isn't hard, mandated instruction in the Bible as far as how to observe this, you know, with with what we use for elements. There's a couple of hints, and I'll give you one, I think, of the most convincing hints as far as the cup goes. This is Luke 22, and they're having the Last Supper. Okay, this is Jesus with the disciples, Luke 22. Uh, Verse 17, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So I think that at minimum, churches who observe the Lord's Supper should use the fruit of the vine, which we know to be grapes, right? Grape juice, wine, something like that, okay? It needs to be the fruit of the vine. I I am not willing to use apple juice, orange juice, water. Jesus didn't ordain that. He ordained the fruit of the vine. And when we are obedient to what he commanded, we will observe that. Now with the bread, there's not really a clear instruction. They were celebrating the Passover, which meant it would have been unleavened bread or more of a flat bread. But I think there's room here. A lot of churches take, at least before COVID, would just pass a loaf and you'd rip off a piece. Anyone ever been to a church like that? It's kind of interesting, right? It really gives us, <laughs> we're really together <laughs> when everyone's picking off the same loaf at that point, right? But I think there's freedom there. I think, there, I think God was intentionally unspecific because depending on your context, and we use little gluten-free things that are safe for everybody to eat no matter what you got going on health-wise, and I just think there's some room for uh, some flexibility there. However, Like I said, with the hints and the indicators that we get, I am convinced that to faithfully follow in obedience, it needs to be the fruit of the vine. We use white grape juice here because the church we rent from doesn't want us to use red to stain the carpet. So, okay, it's still fruit of the vine. It's still there. I think we're okay. I don't think God's going to get upset about that. 
So that's what we use and that's why we use it. Last question, how often should we take communion? Well, the only hint we have is Jesus says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Well, what does that mean? There's no mandate for weekly, monthly, every other week, every quarter, anything like that. But because of what we saw this morning with the significance of the remembrance, the examination, what it's designed to be, I personally and the elders here at Grace are convinced that doing it every week is the right thing to do. Now, I know other churches do it different. I have no ill feeling towards them. I don't think they're doing it wrong. That's, it's totally up to them. Again, I think God was intentionally unspecific. But I don't want to miss an opportunity to remember. I don't want to miss an opportunity to examine. I don't want to miss an opportunity to celebrate the union that we have with Christ and with one another. So we choose to do it every week here at Grace. So I know I was greatly helped by studying this passage this week, and I hope that you were as well in hearing it. And I hope that communion becomes, if it isn't already for you, a sweet time of celebration, remembrance, rejoicing over what God has done through Christ. What a great opportunity and what a gift that Jesus would ordain this for our churches to do together. So let's pray, and we'll come to the table. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, thank you that you give us so many visual, tangible reminders of spiritual realities. In baptism, we see our union with you and our death to sin. And in communion, we see this bond that we have with each other as we eat and we drink together. Even in the wickedness around us, Lord, in the world, we see the heinousness of sin and we're reminded of the grace that you have in forgiving that sin. So thank you for these pictures. Thank you for the illustrations. Thank you for these parables. And Lord, as our church moves forward and as we continue to commemorate the death of your son every week, I pray that it would never be routine it would never be boring, that it would be life-giving and invigorating, and that we would just long to come together and demonstrate the union that we have because of Christ. So I ask that you do this. Impress upon us, Lord, the value and the privilege it is to be a part of the church that you have purchased with the blood of Christ. So thank you, Father. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.